0: Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities.
1: We're grateful to be in conversation with Magdalena Weinstein today. Magdalena is a Latin cisgendered gendered woman from Chile, living in Northern California. She's a parent, wife, trauma therapist, counselor, and coach. She offers services live and online series and workshops using tools and frames from somatic experiencing, crisis counseling, somatic coaching, applied neurology, and yoga. Magdalena believes that our body contains the wisdom, strength, and resilience that we long for. and She feels called to rediscover and feels honored to guide people into accessing their inner intelligence in this journey of connection and integration within ourselves, with each other, and with the earth. In today's conversation, we talk with Magdalena about how Magdalena got involved in somatic experiencing, the role of trauma in Black Lives Matter and other movements, corona, and what may come from a nervous system regulatory view, about being in the bag, polyvagal theory, and more. Just a note, we started with a bit of audio issues, but they cleared up more as we got moving. So with that, let's begin our talk.
2: Hello. I don't hear you yet. I will.
1: yeah, if I, I hit it helps if I hit unmute, sorry for that.
2: <laughs> that, that.
1: <laughs> nice to actually see you. We've only talked on the phone before, so yeah so yeah, what more or less, what sort of tell us a little bit about your your journey because you and I have talked, but i I found it pretty, pretty interesting, especially like with what you are doing now. Why don't you share a little bit so that our people can hear a little bit more about Magdalena?
2: Okay, yeah, so currently I'm doing somatic experiencing and I am actually, be, I mean, I'm going to be doing intermediate three and, and advanced one this end of the year. So that's kind of a path that we'll be finishing maybe in the middle of next year. And I'm, I was offered actually a position to be an assistant already because of my skills, but because I'm Latin American as well, because they want to have diversity. I'm okay to share that with you. So that's kind of an honor because I feel like uh, as an assistant, I have more responsibility in the somatic world, which I really want to have more of a a saying. And that's the reason I I created a podcast, because I wanted Latin voices to be out there in the somatic world, because I didn't feel like it was happening as much. Um, I don't feel like somatic experiencing is spreading well in certain parts of Latin America, like in Chile, it's not really taking off yet, and um, other parts of Latin America. It is taking off in, in Brazil, but that's pretty much it for a big continent. Um, Can I ask
0: you a quick question about that? Yes. The reason why it may not be taking off, do you think it's just a matter of not knowing what it is? Or is there some kind of cultural resistance, roadblock, something that's not penetrating in uh, the culture?
2: One of the issues is lack of diversity in the program. So the teachers that teach the program are not very diverse in many ways. So first of all in color, but second, because most of the people that become somatic experiencing teachers usually are psychotherapists, it's kind of a narrow path to start because somatic experiencing can go in many directions, and psychotherapy is one of the directions, but not necessarily, not at all the only one. I and mean, in the big world of somatics, you can see experts in somatic experiencing like Kathy Kane. She's a body worker. She's not a psychotherapist. So, or Irene, Irene Lyon. She has. She's not a psychotherapist either. So. There's many, I mean, there's many examples. So I think that's kind of a downside for the Institute because you have to be a psychotherapist, probably you have to be white and have money to access this training in Europe first to become a teacher or in the United States. So that takes a lot to become a teacher. And therefore there's like one person in Chile able to do it. And not everybody resonates with her because she's a psychotherapist. She's a white woman. So all the indigenous people, the people of color in Chile, are not that interested in her take. So that makes it smaller. And so that's happened in Peru. And so that's at Bolivia, places that have more people of color, more diversity. It's just even less possible to do it. So that's why I feel like I was approached in intermediate two by, by my teacher to speak. Say, hey i need you to be an assistant next year i need diversity in the program because they're worried that the program is not diverse enough so i was kind of like very surprised because usually you have to become a scp uh complete the whole program intermediate all the intermediate then the advanced one and two and then apply it takes a while it takes like four years to do that so they're so concerned so they're, they're i'm thinking they're approaching people that have skills, obviously, but that are diverse so that this can expand in these parts of the world, you know? And talk about Middle East and other places that have the same problem, not diverse. So
0: So. what kind of, besides being a teacher assistant and having, you know, teaching through your, the lens that you grew up as Latino, what other things, do you think you could bring in to help penetrate the culture to be a little bit more open to somatic experiencing? Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, the fact that I'm a crisis counselor, I feel it helps because I work in domestic violence in sexual assault with populations that are not white as well. I work with the Latino population mostly. So that's my lens. I'm interested in that population or populations that are minorities in general. So I think just having that lens, not be like a, like a licensed marriage and family therapy that works only with people with money, with their problems, but looking at deeper problems. Because somatic experiencing can work in deeper problems and, and it's really effective for a, a PTSD or crisis. But also, I mean, trauma that is a recent or just one element, one trauma, but it's also very effective for the developmental trauma, for complex trauma, for trauma that has years in developing. So I think it will be really important for these populations because they have been experiencing so much trauma. And for example, in Chile, dictatorship trauma. And so all Latin America has that experience. And that's not the experience in the United States. Wasn't. I, I, I don't know where the United States is going right now, but it wasn't the experience here or in Europe. So the, the person, I mean, being a person of color that had an experience of dictatorship for 17 years, in my experience, and bringing back somatic experience into the population that had that experience, I think it resonates a lot with them but also having been experiencing as an immigrant in the United States, that's another plus because I've been an immigrant in the United States for 15 years as a minority, immigrant minority. I think that's another plus for the program because being a a Chilean, I have privilege in Chile because I'm more close to whiteness than to darkness in my skin. So, but in the United States, I don't have that. So I think that having the experience for the 15 years I had, the experience of being a minority here will help me, you know, maybe help other people there or, or help training or assisting there to work with those populations because this is the problem here that we have now, that somatic experience and other somatic practices are not catering to minorities. And so there's a lot of work on anti oppression and trying to change policy and all that, but if we don't have trauma working there, it's just going to be more chaotic. And it has to be more chaotic because the Black Lives movement is very, very grand scale, but it's not trauma-oriented. It doesn't have that piece. So I think if we're going to do movements in Chile or in other countries, in South America or in Middle East right now, or in Asia, they have to have a trauma component because it's very different working with trauma from these perspectives. As you, I think you both know some of the work that it requires, it's way less and way more. So not everybody's ready and so much goes very far in trauma, re-traumatizing somebody because that's very important to have in mind when in this field, you know,
0: Thank you for the, that, the background information on that. That's very interesting and eye-opening, mm-hmm. being a very white, blonde female. Been in a lot of these mind-body movement practices, and for sure, it's the majority of people who look like me mm-hmm. and come from similar demographics. I would say in New York, when I was going through trainings, it was a, definitely a little bit more, more diverse.
2: Yeah, I know you get more black people in certain places that have more diversity. And LA, New York, mm-hmm. I think DC has that. There's also yeah. some more segregation because of that as well. So you get the segregation and the variety.
0: So sorry, I, was interrupted. I interrupted you in talking about your journey, but I think you, what you were offering and where you can take this was so fascinating. I couldn't help ask questions. But yeah, if you could continue talking about What you're what you're doing now and how you arrived here.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, right now I'm doing definitely somatic experiencing. I also have a brain brain based approach because when I'm working with development, which is um, another big interest for me, when you have these populations like me that experience early trauma for development, like which is zero to eighteen, by the way. So it's a very long time to be developing the brain you get to these milestones of development or not, or they don't happen. And the, you know in these populations, you can see it could be because of uh, historical trauma or racial trauma or whatever kind of oppressive trauma, like dictatorship in my case. And so you get to the brain, which is the place where the development didn't happen. So I've been studying parallel to somatic experiencing uh, brain training, basically. This weekend, I'm taking uh, another one of these rounds that I take with Z-Health University, which is kind of a, more like maybe personal training orientation, but I don't take it that way. I take the whole thing in the orientation of development. How do I conserve these populations that come already diminished with their capacities, you know? And so this is another big problem because if you have developmental delay, in any way, because it could be emotional or physical or neurological, it could be uh, physiological, in any way. I mean, there's so many varieties in development, motor, visual, vestibular, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there is less capacity to do trauma work in the rest because you want to have kind of a, a, a stable person to do the work that you need to do. And these pieces interfere in the work, like visual and vestibular uh, approaches interfere into uh, anxiety work, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, or whatever, or even uh, the desire to express change in rage, like it's been happening so much with the rioting, which is great, and at the same time, it goes so far to become violent. So, and many of the people that are doing that, you can see in the development there is a delay because the cortical capacity to say, well, I'm very angry, but I shouldn't be destroying places or it's not convenient for me to get into this altercation or whatever. It's not happening. That is not happening. So... That's the other piece in trauma work. We have kind of a responsibility to, in a way, teach society that healthy aggression is the way to go, not not the unhealthy rage, because it's also re-traumatizing. It's not going to resolve the problem, as we can see. It's not when we make changes slowly and continue progressively changing them, like policy and all that, that's when change happens. Riots are not going to cause change. I mean, they help if they're peaceful, done, but when they're not peacefully done, it's complex. And I I would say brain development, that's taking it back there. It's a really good place to go there. So how much capacity the person has to become regulated?
0: I think that's a really interesting comparison to the riots and how um, destructive it became because as i was watching on the other end through my tv i 100% understood why it was happening and enough is enough and i you know the the visceral anger but i couldn't help and i i really had to kind of hold this balance of like you know i'm sitting from a privileged white girl place but part of me was like stop destroying things you're it's perpetuating what you don't what well, how black people don't want to be viewed. And, and so it was, I still don't know where it I am at, at it because, you know, I 100% understand the rage and frustration. And at some point, sometimes breaking things is where you get the attention, but the extreme of it was, um, it was hard to watch. I'll be honest. And so I think you bringing in that aspect, which is not something I, considered of possible, you know, and you can probably speak more to it if you, you reiterate what you said, possible developmental delays of kind of being stuck in this angry from the somatic experience of kind of stuck in this trauma vortex of constantly being
2: angry. Yeah, there's a HPA axis, like a hypothalamic pituitary, axis where you can get off of certain hormones that are in the midbrain. So they're not, they're firing the amygdala, firing centers that have more of an aggressive behavior. And it's not just happening in the United States. I wish no. it only was here because in Latin America, it's as bad as it's here, really bad. And so, in a way, I also understand the reason it's happening, but the behavior is what I'm watching. Like, well, you're willing to sacrifice your life and the life of your people and the, the country. You're willing to do all that. But then you think about it in developmental ways. It's like, where there's no container here. There's no container for regulation. So regulation doesn't ha- there's no like a regulatory capacity to say what, well, the riot is great, but this is as much as it needs to be. So, you know, and so it's, it's concerning because that riot activates the HPA axis of police, of the government as well. So it goes both ways. It doesn't just stay in one side. The other side is thinking, well, how am I gonna contain these people that don't have regulation? I'm gonna become their regulatory, you know, I'm gonna enforce regulation here. So I don't want that to happen. I want, it, I want, I want more people to be educated, access education on regulation without having to be enforced. See, some of the killings were because the police thought the people, these women or men did not have capacities to regulate. That's the story. And they're too strong. So first, they're too strong to regulate. And they're, they're sorry, they're too strong to hold them. I have to use my gun and they're incapable of regulation. So many i have been participating in some of the circles of mourning, some of the Black women that have been killed. And the stories are, most of them, that they call social services or then call the police because there was, the person was in crisis. This is how it begins. This woman is in crisis, is calling 911, or is calling social services. And who comes, instead of social services or a somatic trauma person, who comes? It's a policeman and does not see the person as a person, but it seems like, oh, my God, this is too much, kills it, kills the person. And the reason is because they don't believe they have the capacity to be regulated.
1: Well, I would imagine as well, that in some cases, the whether it's the police whoever comes, they're also coming in it from a mildly traumatic place of, of fear of what may happen to them. So they themselves are also, instead of coming in it from a regulated sense, they're coming in from a...
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, uh, which then creates more of a vortex than two vortexes going on around each other.
2: And that's why Re- Resma Menneken, the whole book, My Grandmother's Hands, it's a book about black, white, and policemen. That book is about them, the three of them, and the incidents in between them. So black, like what you're saying, so policemen see black bodies this way, sees white bodies this way, and and so black people see policemen this way and white people this way, and so the interaction. And Resma is a somatic experiencing practitioner and sees that perspective, sees that perspective from a somatic experiencing lens about regulation. He's talking about that. So that's the book, I mean, and he he gives tools, you know, to access those, the somatic experiencing uh, tools to be able to notice what's happening in my body and then create regulation. I I,
1: I read some of it and and I listened to a talk with him. I thought he was great. And I I hadn't known before that he studied with somatic experiencing. Um, Yeah,
2: he's he's a sep as a very of practitioner. You can tell because of the work and the emphasis. And also interestingly enough, he talked about the police body before the killings were openly uh, spread all over the news and everywhere. Before, like two years before. Oh, yeah, I think it's two years, because the book is 2018. So very interesting to read that book after the after the surgence of this information. So I'm, I'm very interested in this because I have experienced, for 17 years when I was growing up, experienced riots and, and, and the conflict in between the population police, the government, military interventions. I, I grew up with that. So I know what it does to the body. And I know how people growing up, developing through this kind of environment, just like the kids now growing up and seeing their fathers and mothers in the riots, in the violence. Uh, I know what it does to you. So Magdalena, can you,
0: can you share a little bit more of what it does? Because I think for us in the United States, we sit in a very privileged point of view. I mean, for sure in various cities, there's the unjust and, you know, certain areas see it a lot, more but overall this you know the united states is kind of sat pretty comfortably in the grand scheme of the rest of the world of not really having to be at the mercy of our leadership
2: mhm yeah well i i feel there's it's so nuanced and i think it's personal to everybody but in general everybody that has experience oppression in this way with the riots with the tanks in the streets or with an oppressive government like a military government grows up with developmental trauma basically so that means parts of their development is not completed and so it can I feel like it shapes you in different ways. It depends on how much support you have and the good thing about Latin America in general and I think also Mexicans here and Latins here that grow up surrounded by family and support and feeling safe, surrounded by family at least, it's an advantage. Although we have that crazy um, environment outside, we feel supported by the family and so that becomes the nest. But at the same time, there is this disbelief and untrust in the government, which is also happening in the United States, obviously, right now. But um, in, I feel like it's all what what uh, we talk about in somatic experiencing. It's the, the importance of completion of whatever is not completed in the process of trauma. So... And completion always is talking about tissues, and you guys are very interested in, 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 in the mo- embodiment, in movement, and all that. So where you th- when you think about completion, you, we are thinking about tissue here, because that's, I feel like, and tissue and, and nervous system. So the tissue and the nervous system has been frozen, and it could have happened for 17 years, like in my case, 17 years of dictatorship. There's parts of my body that have been frozen into this, um, what, what would dictatorship do to you? Uh, you have to follow directions. There's these certain directions, and school you know, in, like, uh, emphasizes them as well. It's like having school on steroids, because you have to obey uh, uh, the whole government. So school, at least you go home and you don't have that. But here you leave school and you continue being in this oppressive environment. And this is talking about black people as well. So our indigenous people, but the body compresses, frozen in time. So it doesn't happen necessarily that I feel frozen now, but since in times I have been frozen, there's so much completion that wants to happen. And then we talk about rage, talk about rage. So of course I want to complete so that my physiology is not frozen. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to rage. That's the next thing I can do, explode. So that's very accessible. If you think about the Chilean body or the bodies of uh, Latin Americans or Middle Eastern or Asian, certain Asian people, that ha- certain Asian countries that have been in dictatorship, you don't see the revolt until it happens. And it just happens in, on steroids because these people have been oppressed, black people. Rage, because the body wants to unfreeze, the nervous system wants to unfreeze. And the first way of unfreezing is mobilization. But if you don't have regulatory capacities to mobilize a little bit and froze and thought, if it was an ice, and so it's an ice cube, and so people what are trying to do is put hot water and melt it completely. So that's rage or uh, outraged. But uh, Levine says, well, just put a little bit of temperature, water temperature on the ice and thaw a little bit at the time, a little bit at the time, not all of it at the same time to not re-traumatize. So that's the challenge for people like me that we have these ice cubes <laughs> that want to be like thrown hot water on to just release it and feel very liberated suddenly. And it, it's a gradual process. I mean, it, it needs to be gradual and it's slow. It just, it's a slow process.
1: You know, you have, uh, you have that in Asia as well. It's a little bit different, but there's a lot of, yes. I spent a lot of time in Asia. There's a lot of repression. And there is, in particular, there's one country who I, I won't name because I'll get attacked later for, for singling it out. But what I found when I was there that, all, almost all most of the females in that would always act a certain way and then there'd just be one day where they would blow up be this, yeah. hu- this huge thing and the next day it would go straight back and, he, and, he, and i found when i would talk to to other foreign men in that area that were dating those women and would say um, have you noticed that they'd all say yes and that was the same there was this impetus it would build up it would build up but because it was beneath the surface it wasn't necessarily known about it would have this explosion, huge catharsis, go back inwards and stay there until, until the next time. Um, and you know, a lot of, I had a talk with someone the other day about, about corona and what's happening right now and, in regards to the, the children. And I was sort of saying, what'll probably happen for most kids is e- likely two things. Either the kids will, because it's such a, a traumatic time for people, they will either go inwards and be stuck there, or the opposite. They're going to just go extremely outwards to, as a way of being like you. I I can't do that, or no, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to um, be in those sort of those two extremes, and
2: which are you know, both dysregulated. By the yeah. way, it's both experiences the upregulate the the hyperregulation and the hyper-regulation. It's both bad, like not not appropriate experiences. They're not gonna bring us back to to uh, reset. Uh, I mean, a settled place, uh, a regulated place.
1: Yeah, you know? I and mean, I think uh, I always I think of a little bit like uh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I know I'm gonna get in trouble for this. But like when I a lot of the yoga trainings I would do, you'd meet yoga training people, and a, a fair amount of them were coming from drug addictions, from eating addictions, from Unhealthy relationships, and they were coming from one ex- same thing. They're coming from one extreme, and they say, "I need to change," and they just run to the other. I'm going to become a vegan, yogi, CrossFitter, blah, and it's like an extreme to an extreme. Whereas the what I think Peter Levine, and I think this is what you were saying more or less with the ice cube, is the titration about not pendulating, but finding that like um, that titration of slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, actually there's a there's a lovely story by a guy we had on uh Russell, who was a somatic experiencer i believe as well um and the story we I heard this third hand, so it could be slightly off but the, the story we were told in our training is that when he would when he would go home from trainings, he had a code word with his um with his wife, which is what, called being in the bag and the story goes like when you get a a goldfish from the fair. You can't just dump the goldfish in the water because it's not used to that environment and it'll, it'll die. So you have to like, put holes in the bag and leave the, the bag in other water for that water and the other water to titrate together so that when you're in the bag, versus like, if you just came out of the bag, it'd be too much. You need to slowly, slowly, slowly have the, have the bag acclimate to the other water until you, till you're no longer in the bag, and I, I always really loved that analogy because um, I mean it definitely happens i 'm sure it happens in somatic e- experiencing trainings. I did a retreat two weeks ago with um, the embodied life, and i even though it was in my house, I would leave the classes and go back to the real world and i, I didn 't have that titration period, so I 'd be in these huge um, like emotional inquiry places and then quickly snap out and be with my parents who were not in that. And it would be like, Oh, you know, instead of having that uh, titration process.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here a, a good, yeah. Thank you for that. That's awesome. I love the, the goldfish because uh, <laughs> we actually killed a, a goldfish <laughs> It's coming from a fair. <laughs> we did the whole thing. We put it in a bowl and it died. So sad. But uh, I wish I would have known the bag <laughs> analogy. Um, but I, I was thinking about the the fact that um, we actually do pendulate. So that's, a, that's a, another way. But what would... And, and so here is the interesting thing. You do want to titrate and slowly thaw. But that's stressful for the system. Because just... From an ice cube perspective, I'm, this is what I am. This is who I've been. And so any, anytime some other kind of element comes to you, that's stressful. So this titration and pendulation is supposed to stress the system, right? So it's not like, um, it's not like going to a massage where you don't get, dig a little bit deeper so that you feel a little bit of that stress. Or just breathe deeply here. This this point is going to hurt you a little bit. That's stressful. We want that stress. We need that stress to grow and to move from the state of freeze into some different state. That is very, very important. I love also the perspective of brain education and Z-Health because they talk about stress all the time. You have to stress the system. But how much stress can the system take? So there's distress, and you, you probably both know there clearly the distinction in between distress and use stress. We need use stress. We don't want distress. When people go, not everybody. I think some of the people that are in the movement and they're going in the riots, they are they're utilizing use stress, and they're okay. They can tolerate a lot, and their system settles back into uh, regulation, and they're they're fine. But there's those people that go there and experience distress, stress, they don't settle back and then they go again and they don't settle back and then they go again and they don't settle back. So I'm concerned about that because that, yes, it's stress and yes, our body and we want stress. We need stress to grow, but what kind of stress are we looking for? So education and is stress it's um, complex. Uh, and I think we owe a lot of the work of Levine and, and my other studies in neuroscience, we owe that they have been studying stress, stress And how in biology, how do you look at what do uh, animals do in the jungle? How do they experience stress after being super stressed? What are the capacities that they're utilizing? In like the tremor and other thawing possibilities for unfreezing. So just looking at the lens of that is so interesting
0: magdalena when earlier when you were talking about the role that you could serve by serving the um latino black um, populations that have especially been under a great deal of distress with leadership in in the United States as well in whatever respected country, what came to mind was. For like kind of, and I'm not a big hashtag person, but what came to mind for you was um, regulator champion <laughs> as like a hashtag. And then when Andrew was talking about what happened with the children during this pandemic and what the potential, you know, outcome could be for them, and I feel like I've been advocating as a regulatory champion for in these mom groups that I'm involved in my community, but there's so much conversation. About this big disservice and the pandemic and what it 's going to do and the, the trauma, and I keep on kind of trying to rein it in a, a little bit and be like, we have a very unique opportunity to kind of what you 're talking about with you stress this is this is stressful, this is one hundred percent not ideal, and of course we 'd love our children in school socializing and everything. But what I've my mindset around this is not trying to achieve normalcy and going back to what life was pre-pandemic. But and granted, my my children are six and three, so I have a chance to really lay a a sound impression on them. And I remind them, and I kind of try to remind this to other um, parent communities that I'm involved in is this is a great opportunity to teach resilience and mindset. And when things aren't perfect. That we have to figure out how to still, still find a place of balance and not get to totally dysregulated and be completely bummed out. I mean, we're going to have moments. I know when the pandemic first started, I would, my body, my system would totally burst into tears just because it was, so, it was such a shock from you know, the normal life. But once that settled down and I, you know, it was proper to, you know, cry it out and feel it. And of course, it would always happen when I'm like, oh, I'm going to have some somatic movement, yoga experience, and then, WebM, it happens. And I, and I feel like, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I do feel that changing the language a little bit, especially with children who are listening to everything and could be piggybacking on parents frustrated everything's not back to normal and frustrated with our economy and who's running our country and this and that. If you monitor how, regulate how you're being and really come from this place of centeredness, children don't have to come out of this totally basket cases of these two extremes that often people are wanting to categorize them because the way I've kind of seen my children you know, they'll get excited about something You're like, oh, I want to go to Legoland. Oh, but I can't right now, but I can later. And just that's a few examples of like, I can their system, you know, forgets what we're doing, why we're at home all the time. And then they, can, they self-regulate and they come back to normal and be like, okay, this, this is what I have to do for now. And I, I think that's, I think that's helpful. I mean, for... I don't know. I, I guess I got a little triggered on the potential of what kids could turn out to be. And I, for sure, some are going to, but I think if parents try to shift the mind around what they're not getting and what they could learn through this, that will, the kids will come out fine.
2: Yeah. They Ish. Will. <laughs> Fine-ish. No, they'll be, they'll be stronger. They'll be, they'll, they'll experience if they if it's possible, if the opportunity is about use stress and not distress, they'll have great, you know, experiences. So even in trauma ties conditions, even kids that had, for example, Beirut now, right? So think about that bombing and all that. So those kids and those adults that had experiences of safety after the trauma have a lot of possibility to you know, experience regulation again and use stress and heal from this experience and become perhaps even stronger and more compassionate or more aware of, of, of other people and their problems. I don't know. This could be a, a thing that can help. Depends if they were helped if we're in, during the crisis. It makes a lot of difference how, you, how people approach a crisis.
1: So... Well, the- the, um, there's you know, Peter Levine was a Rolfer, so there's a lot of similarities in, across the board, both from what he probably got from Ida, but also what he was bringing. When we had Chan Saltan on, he was talking about how Peter was bringing a lot of this early somatic experiencing into the Rolf training. But you know, the, the principles of uh, for rolfing are part of them, and we, we talk about this almost every podcast, but are about having support adaptability and closure and we have others other things but i was thinking of those three in regards to a lot of what what you've said which is so is the closure as far as you, know, you mentioned and getting getting stuff out of the out of the tissues uh support as to you know there's this huge thing that happens whatever if you're in beirut or somewhere else you know and do you have that support do you have the, the parent to pick you up and say everything is going to be okay or or do you have Something very very different. So how do you, how do how do you come from that and, and go out of that? And then you know adaptability, which um, I think Nikki already mentioned earlier in different ways. But how 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 do you what 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 is the availability for for growth from that situation? How adaptable are you? Um, it's it's why I, I at some point would really like to study SE. I've read a bit about it, but I, I do feel that the marriage of of the rolfing or other body work modalities with somatic experiencing, the, the cranial sacral training I take has a lot of um, Peter's work in it. And it's, it's brought into a lot of biodynamic cranial from the nervous system way, but that marriage between body work and, and somatic experiencing, I think is so wonderful because even like when you were saying before about how to help people The container, well, the container is the body, and the body doesn't know how to to get it out. Just even having a little bit of sensation and support can be huge.
2: And also activate the, the insula, which is a place of compassion, actually. And serotonin and oxytocin, which are hormones of compassion, instead of activating the amygdala. I'm firing norepinephrine and cortisol, which are not, and dopamine, which are not about that. They're more about, you know, dopamine it's about connection and all that, but it's not like serotonin, it's, it is more peaceful hormone or oxytocin, which is about intimacy. So, that what you're talking about is activating parts of our body, like feeling sensation in the body is actually building neural pathways to the insula. We want that. We want to be able to fire the insula, not just the amygdala pathways. This is, this is another reason why I, it's not like I disagree with riots. I think riots are in, not riots, but I think uh, marching and, and getting together and, and uh, talking and, and doing change, social change uh, with oppression, is very important, but when we do it from the amygdala perspective from the uh, lizard brain perspective, it's not gonna make the same change because we're not working for the same reason. The amygdala doesn't have the same uh, interests that the insula has or the the social engagement system is not the same as when you're in fight or flight mode. When you're in fight or flight mode, you're not interested in connection. That's simple. I mean, and I love the work of Stephen Porges in that direction. When you understand polyvagal theory, if the person is not is not out of it fight and flight, that's what I'm saying. Like after trauma, if the person is supported and finds connection, so much can happen there in the diet. But if there is not that, the person might stay in fight or might stay in flight. Might choose one of the two routes here.
1: Yeah, and it can be, I mean, we as Rolfing, I'm
2: not freeze. <laughs> please, I was just
1: gonna
0: say that I was like, I think freeze is in there too.
2: <laughs> freeze well, and shut down, yes, which yes. is more concerning. Yeah, yes. that's it, even it, more concerning. It
1: and <laughs> it is something. I don't know how much you know about Rolfing, but it's something that a lot of times people generally think it's painful, and it actually, it. I think in in hands and Nikki, you, you're welcome to call me out and say if I'm wrong, but in some, if people aren't listening to the nervous system and there is trauma, it. It, I mean other body works super rolfing could be very traumatic uh, what's the word Traumatizing, yeah thank you I don't always say words right because uh, if that pattern is there and it's not it's not being allowed to express in a way of of support but of other and it's reinforcing that it can actually keep it locked in more which is why polyvagal theory has infiltrated a lot of rolfers uh, in the last Five to 10 years, I'd say. Uh, and it's, it's a big part of it. Nikki, you're welcome to call me out if you disagree with me there.
0: No, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I think, um, I think for sure, I mean, I think that in, in some ways that pressure, the depth of it, when it does trigger an experience, a traumatic experience, in a way that's kind of that where the practitioner really has to hold in the titration that they hit a hot button and then needs to regulate how much more and that's where i get probably hypersensitive around Rolfine is known as being painful because for sure there are elements of it that is painfulish it's really more of like discomfort but yeah, an unskilled roller is like, Oh, I hit that spot, you're having it you're having a response, let me go in heavy. Yeah, that's that's too much. And that's where sometimes in our work people get re-traumatized because the practitioner wasn't aware or had made and had the skill set at the time to to modulate that trigger and to really know how to back off and and yeah, I mean that's but the same thing the lightest touch or where you're touching i mean the classic fourth hour line in rolfing when you're working on the inside of the leg kind of working up to where how the pelvis is organized with the legs into the upper body you know you're working around the pelvis and pelvic floor that can be very triggering with all sorts of things. I mean, the classic thing people think of is sexual trauma, but it's not always that. It's just that that's where someone chose to put a lock and that's where they're holding in. It's that's, that's kind of a, a, a secret spot where you can be contained, be overly held, and it's not visible, opposed to like tight shoulders where you're like walking around with your shoulders above you, you know, at your ears there's another way you can disguise holding. So yeah, touch. I mean, I'm I'm now kind of revisiting the somatic work. Like I said, I'm doing Kayla June's program, but one of the major things that I remember in my early days of my rolfing training was Peter Levine's work and waking the tiger and the whole, that whole thing of trauma vortex and making sure when you're working with someone who's, really working through some traumatic event in their, their life to be aware that don't be afraid to go there, but also don't leave your client or whoever you're working with in this trauma vortex where they're just spinning, re-traumatized and not having the skills to get, to get out. And I think that the titration is huge and safety is obviously huge. And I think with those two things, and I, yeah, I'm really loving all that you're how you're sharing all this, Magdalena. Thanks. I think you're going to do some beautiful work.
2: Thank you. I was a coach for well, I still consider myself a coach, but I was a coach for ten years doing hypnosis and NLP and constellation work, which is a different work, and also parts work like IFS style. I don't know if you know internal family systems. We weren't exactly doing internal family systems, but it's um, like you have parts of the self inside. So I did that for 10 years. So I'm adding that to my toolbox usually because the complicated thing with trauma as well, I feel. And, and so people that are doing body work maybe are talking about that, but I'm not quite sure if they are addressing it. So if you had an experience that occurred when you were little and then it didn't occur anymore. So that is the age when you're traumatized. And that's the age when you have to access that. So it's important to understand when, when I'm working with somebody or a group of people that we're working with parts of the self. So it's, it's physiological aspects of the self as well as parts of the self because the brain, you know, grows up at, and, and at seven this happens. or from zero to seven this happens. So when working, when approaching a person that is doing with, dealing with that kind of thing or even per, perinatal trauma, Right, well, we could be talking about pre-birth or during birth trauma. You cannot approach the person the same way as you approach an adult, a 40-year-old with a problem. It's totally a different perspective. And sometimes there's no language here. So language does not work. And when you're talking about, like, touching tissue, if the person, uh, you're touching tissue, I mean, you're accessing a four year old you're accessing a perinatal fetus what do you do there? Is there even consent from the person to access that information? Do they even have capacity to hold space for that? That process is much longer and much slower and much titrated, right? It's like touching a baby. You have to be really gentle and careful. You are not going to dig your finger into a baby's tissue, right? Or a four-year-old. Well, that's the same person you're dealing with when you're working with some part of the person that is a four-year-old, parts of the person that are fetal, super complex. So I just wanted to add that because I feel like uh, those 10 years of experience working with parts of the self, hypnosis and all that, NLP, and understanding, oh, there's parts that don't have uh, any cognitive abilities because they're prenatal or they're zero to one when you're not yet developing language or you don't even have a sense of self, right? Because zero to two, you're still... I am me, I am my mom, I am me, I am my family. I'm not quite sure who I am. Right? So
0: I think that's very beautifully said and it's such a great point and hopefully helpful to anybody that's listening to this that is maybe learning about a certain experience that they have had and are struggling with their process that maybe they're coming at it from not a the appropriate chronological age viewpoint
2: exactly like personal trainer approach just toughen up you can do this go for it (laughs) if you're dealing with a trauma from seven or eight or five year old or two it's not going to be the same approach as you were a teenager when that happened you know car accidents you have a car accident when you're 30 and a car accident when you're three a very different experience you have a surgery when you're two and you have a surgery when you're 50 very different experiences You know, so yeah. And we're not even talking about near death. (laughs) That's another realm, right? So there's so many realms in a person. I feel like um, if we're working with this kind of people, we have a responsibility because we don't really know. We don't really know what we're talking about. We're not, we don't know if we're prenatally talking about things approaching. We don't know if it's like near death kind of experience of the person or political racial right, levels of trauma. So I had to go in many, I, I feel responsible because I had experiences at so many levels of like a near death and I had political, racial, and all that, so because of all those levels, and I think that's a gift. Everybody that experiences a lot of trauma has a gift here. So these kids that are growing up in this kind of political environment or racial environment or stress or COVID-19, situation they have a gift to bring because they have more knowledge they have like somatic capacity to access that information and do something about that super rich
1: i'd say again you correct me if i'm wrong they have potential for a gift they have potential the the gift is in potential but how it can it can be transformed uh, and that transformation can go so again either way it can be a way where you like you know, I think we talked about this offline. How we both have had traumatic experiences before. My near-death experiences, I most of them have made me a stronger person because I can, I've I've worked with them or I've looked at them. Um, I I still have somewhat of fear of of water uh, in my body, not in my mind, but in my body because of that near-death experience. So that potential is still working itself out still I mean it's, it's still not fully there but it could go either way it could get to the point where it's like yeah, I see water and, I'm, and I'd be like no I don't even you know want to go there or the sort of the, the opposite of like let's let's just get over this like it can't kill me it, it tried before
2: and it depends on what age also exp- your experience because if you're a one-year-old with that experience It's really challenging to, and and it requires a very, very sophisticated practitioner to work with that person because it's a very somatic, visceral experience versus Mm. a 25-year-old person that has agency and capacity to float or to swim or to get help or yell. A one-year-old doesn't have any of that. It's just like, so, yeah. So this is a good point. Thank you. Yeah, because that's the eustress or distress. Are you going Mm. in the eustress direction of this this uh, event, or are you going in the distrust direction of this event?
1: Yeah, and I'd say that that baby, to tie it back into rolfing, just because that's what we we like, that baby doesn't necessarily have the support or the adaptability at that point, whereas a 25-year-old has, has more of that, and that's what can make it easier to, I don't want to say bounce back. It's not that, I don't like the idea of using the word bounce with a baby, um, but bounce back uh, a little bit from that
2: because there's so much more access to resources. You can access easily, ment- even mental resources like, well, but do you remember where you, your arms were swimming and so that's like a strength, that's a resilience, that's a re- resource that you can utilize. Or so your voice, you were yelling or somebody came and rescued and you remember the touch and the lifting and the whatever, the water con- coming up. But when you're one, there's none of that. Mm. But none it's
1: of like that you is saying- a resource. I think what you said as far as pre-verbal, and I think that's what one of the things I like about somatic experiencing and other things is when you bring it into sensation and you bring it into feelings, words are just descriptions of that. So words sort of get in the way sometimes and they get into thoughts and cognitions. But when you bring it into these feelings, which don't necessarily even have have words to them because they're your experience, that is where so much... um, change can can grow from in my experience
2: exactly and there's touch here you could well not right now it's not easy to touch people but if that experience one year old with touch can be so supportive okay so i know you don't remember any resource of touch while you were in that experience how about my hand where do you want my hand agency where would you like it and what let's experience some comfortable touch while you're having a little bit of titration into the stress response hmm. then,
1: or even i, th- I think or yeah. even what what would what would, well, good, what would what would it feel like how would that feel what would you exactly. imagine that to be the imagination um, and and using that is is huge as far as sensorial growth and
2: change beautiful that using the image side of it like if you could have landed in anything other than water what would it be oh like a Maybe some, I don't know, sugar or what is that thing in, in fairs, the, the, the pink? Uh, uh, cotton candy. Can it, what is it called again? Cotton,
1: cotton, cotton candy. Cotton
2: candy. And floating cotton candy. It's dry. There's no water here. Now. I just like enjoy that. Yeah. So beautiful to work with that, especially when you're dealing with something that you do, like early and less agency and much more complex. So, that has Im- immeasurable uh, possibilities with groups as well, groups of people that have experienced, like the Beirut bombing and st- or, or explosion, whatever that was. Uh, what would it be like instead of that in your house? What would it be a better memory? I mean, later on, working on that, supporting this population would be so, so helpful to build resiliency instead of this distress. Uh, or, or whatever this traumatic stress that they're experiencing. So, so helpful.
0: I think it's interesting how you guys have gone into this analogy of recreating a, an environment with something maybe contrast or opposite. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think of, I have a brother who became quadriplegic from cliff diving. And he, mm-hmm. and he was, and it was in the Grand Canyon and he like technically died and had to get revived. And, all this stuff. And um, before, I mean, before his injury he was definitely a risk taker and things like that, but he finds it very cathartic to be in a pool, get right back into the water. And he wears those, the kind of the face mask, kind of the scuba face mask where your whole face is covered. And there's like the, the fin behind his head that he can breathe. So he's kind of in a face down drowning position and he just floats and, <laughs> and he just oh. he's in this kind of which has to be feel very comfortable when you're confined to a chair but you know as a family when we see him we're kind of getting triggered and none of us were there when he got hurt but we're like that looks like <laughs> that doesn't look we're like getting re-traumatized of like a drowning looking person and he's just having the time of his life watching his nieces and nephews swim like little sea creatures in the pool. But there's, there's something, too, also about rewriting your story, rewiring your memory in the environment that brought you trauma. That can also be quite therapeutic and not necessarily have to be creating the opposite of contrast. So there's so many different ways very,
2: to
1: to
0: reprogram.
2: Very powerful,
1: yeah. And I I love it in that in Waking the Tiger when Peter talks about when he he was working with that client and and they and he said he basically said like you know there's a tiger run and and that person rewriting their place to to get out of a place of immobility into a place of mobility and just from that like having that change I was really I think about that a lot when I work with people.
2: hmm that's, yeah, exactly. That's what your brother's probably doing. And also think about the people that have watched traumatize other people experiencing trauma are also experiencing trauma. So trauma is not just only something that you experience, you could be watching and, re- and traumatize yourself by watching. So everybody that watched George Floyd's murder was traumatized by that unless they didn't care but unless you know they have some uh, psychopathic whatever but if they have capacity for compassion they were traumatized by that or watching the destroy the, the the riots and the heatings and police beatings and all that they're traumatized by that in different ways so same with your brother so just the story of your brothers uh, how it happened it traumatized the whole family so yeah so you're all triggered when you look at him in the pool because you're all experiencing the trauma
0: <laughs> well yeah and like that particular weekend memorial day weekend i normally spend that we were in college close he, he was in arizona me in colorado and i could have easily been on that trip I probably would have. I just at that time had an invitation to go white water rafting instead. So I did that. But there's so many times um, where he and I would, his friends would go cliff diving in Sedona and like never, I mean, it was idiotic, never checked the water before knew that we only had this small area of jumping in. And then, you know, a few feet later you'd be up in like shin level depth of water. And um, yeah. And like, I would jump off of diving boards like I didn't I the fear wasn't in me and then I see my kids like jumping off a stump (laughs) and I've got I always have myself being like ah or like you know I saw some a friend of mine's kids were jumping off a a big rock into a lake and just was imagining if I were on that trip there would be like I'd be like no way and here the kids are like probably having the time of their life but I there's not a I don't think I could ever let my kids under my watch jump off and jump off of something into foreign water.
2: That's because you have post-traumatic stress from. The I experience. most certainly do, yes. and
0: I know what it looks like to live a quadriplegic <laughs> life, and I don't think jumping off a rock is worth it.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, you have, yeah, in <laughs> the mixer, right? <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> yeah.
2: I hear you. <laughs> I'm similar, but I don't have the I, I don't have a, a component. Well, I do have components of fear on that, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I imagine, and this, we don't have time to go there. and We also, I don't know, have the experience, but I would imagine that that's what happens for some parents: is that they start to, and I'm not a parent. I think you both are. Some parents will see their kids doing something, and if the parent creates an image in their mind of what will happen, doesn't want it to happen, and basically like shuts the kids down and and can. Create, create isolation of sorts where that the, the kid isn't able to develop because the parent is so afraid or so traumatized of everything that it actually stunts the child. I, I've seen instances where that is that because it's so much fear from whatever that it just, their trauma and the parent essentially stunts the developmental growth of of the child from that age because like you were saying before uh magdalena you know we need stressors like we we do need those stressors and we've talked about this before in other ways uh, you need something you need a small charge to get the growth um so the child falling down on their knee and and cutting the knee a little bit is actually somewhat healthy for them i don't know about diving off cliffs that's maybe an extreme but
2: we do we do need to get sick actually also as well so i'm wondering also what, what's going to happen with this pandemic like the fear of getting sick now everybody's like oh i have a little cold so that's going to be another trauma <laughs> just mentioning it here so that you all know that you probably have, all have like a little bit of post-traumatic uh, totally. stress totally almost every like oh i sneeze somebody's sneezing or i'm sneezing or i'm feeling a little feverish and we used to be like oh uh, bless you and now it's like, do you have COVID-19? Do I have COVID-19 now because you have sneeze on me or do I have a little fever? Should I go get tested? So, wow. It's, also,
1: it's also very much about, I didn't actually put this together until someone mentioned it the other day. It's so much about fear, whereas yes. we can't trust. It's not that like, if we were all together, it's not that I can't trust you, but I don't. You know, we don't know what has been around you and so there's a sense of fear that comes in, which generally fear I think of as a closing standpoint. So you know we could be having a great talk and you sneeze, and all of a sudden that fear goes into that trauma, and it's like, whoop, what's what's going on? Uh, protect, you know, shut down. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting.
2: It's going to be interesting, and we're probably all going to have to process the post-traumatic growth. You know, of like how do we get out of the freeze response? of all the times we felt like we could have had COVID or somebody else had it or it's around or it's in the, it's in the environment. It's in the fruit. It's in my furniture. It's in the door, right? It's in the store. So yeah, we're going to have, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot to process.
1: <laughs> it's great that, that's great. I am going
0: good. to have to process a lot. I yeah. was pre-k, I was fine. Ran around New York city, you know, I washed my hands, like didn't make sure I, If I was on the subway, I didn't like sit on my bed, but having kids has made me excessively. That has brought out my germaphobe to Mm -hmm. like a whole new level. And I do think I'm going to have to do some serious processing once we're post COVID and, and have to really check my, my hypersensitivity around Mm -hmm. illnesses and things like that. I, I know I don't, I do well with some sicknesses and then others I do not do well with.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people are getting more uh, traumatized by, by thinking about their kids getting sick or the, or the adult parents getting sick and, and, and very, you know, very worried about that, where before we were just like, oh, it's sick. We got to go to the hospital. Or, oh, my parent is a little sick. Now it's traumatic. It's more trauma oriented. The because there's so much so unknown.
0: Modern. We have no idea what's going on with COVID. It's the way it affects everybody in so many different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. they say, oh, it just affects the older people. But then you see, you know, the the 101 old person who recovered or babies don't get it, but then there's the baby who died. So there's, it's just, it's all over the place. And there's so much unknowns around it. And
2: And at the same time, epidemiologists, like my husband has a kayak tour business and they go out in the ocean. So it's very social distance. Uh, You go in your own kayak and if you want, you can have a mask. And he's been taking doctors, epidemiologists, and people that are working in the emergency room and they're saying, wash your hands, eat healthy, you're okay. You're fine. Don't worry. Because they have been, you know, immersed in this environment that is very stressful and they build up a resilience, a different capacity. And they work with these families and these kids and these adults and the elder, and they're all stressed about it. And it's not going to help that because ultimately we're all, you know, we're all going to die. But also we need stress and we need to get sick as well. So we can't, we have to eat healthy. So there's some measurements to take, and this, the, the way we take it is similar to the way we know, we, we, because we don't come from a trauma-oriented, like a somatic experiencing or, or a trauma-oriented perspective where, where resilience is there and we need to build up on that. So it's happening as well in media and the way people talk about it, it's the same as with the riots. It's, oh my God, it's a pandemic, we're gonna all die. It's it's all terrible, instead of, How are we going to build resilience even though this is happening? And what are going to be the things that we need to do? We need to get closer to our family, not to move away from everybody, because that's not going to help us. We need resources. We need support. We need diet. We need interactions. We need to eat healthy. We can't be paranoid about it. We need to have calming techniques, right? Meditation or whatever technique, walking outside without a mask when we can, so that we can breathe oxygen, right? All these tools that are, we maybe need to read less of that stuff and hear less of those news because they're traumatizing, right? So we're watching the, the countings of the death and the, you know, the all the graphs. That is traumatizing. It's very traumatizing. Maybe we can do, okay, we'll do it twice a week or three times a week instead of every day, four times a day, I'm going to be checking and then I'm watching the New York Times thing and then I'm doing the YouTube video and it's very exhausting, very traumatizing.
0: feels like the common thing of titration, titrate to be informed, but not taking in every little bit of information because it's, it's constantly it's, changing. So it's
2: high Per arousing us, yeah, mm-hmm. and to fight flight. What should I do, go away, protect myself, run away from me, just be home and frozen. I don't want to get out. So some people are choosing the route of being frozen, shut down in the house, and they never decide to never come out. Is that a, is that a better choice? I just think it's, a, it's one of the a polyvagal routes. I mean, it's, it's one of the vagal routes is to go into doors or shut down. It's not convenient. Physiologically, it's not convenient. Same as it's being in fight or flight and with the amygdala firing, cortisol and norepinephrine, is that healthy for our system? So COVID-19 is not healthy, but cortisol and norepinephrine shooting all the time is never going to be healthier than watching maybe two or three times a week, a little titrated amount because we need to build immunity if we're going to fight COVID, because if we have worse, lower immunity, we're definitely going to get it more than if we have better, right? So it affects us. So it's the same. I think it's all the same. The way we take the news of the pandemic and the way we take the news of the riots and all that is is from the same approach, right? From either from a regulated or dysregulated place, from distress or eustress. That's my perspective on this.
0: Wow, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your, your insight and sharing with us what, what you're doing
1: and where you're taking your work.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you, too. It's fun. Fun ride.
1: <laughs> where, for people who are tuning in, uh, do, where could they find more about you and or uh, about maybe things you're, you're working with or things you're passionate about?
2: Mm-hmm. I have a website magdalenaweinstein.com that's where most of my things are happening I do a post once a week in Instagram I usually do a very thick post that attracts a lot of attention and then I just kind of like wither away I'm not very social media um, oriented because I feel I found it stressful as well so it's not very totally. it's not very stressful it's very distressful so I try to monitor and be more minimalistic in that direction. But that's also Magdalena Weinstein and also in Facebook. And I am currently working online. I'm kind of having my, my, my practices full, but I'm also creating a couple of courses and one collaboration with three other women, and one of them is Carla June, like we were talking about. Uh, and so I am building up into a another long, maybe 10-week, 8-week course about liberation. And, you know, I, I work with empowerment for women, but this time I'm thinking empowerment and liberation or, or just liberation for women, or maybe for all genders. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it one way or the other. And I approach all this, all my lenses in this, like, brain, nervous system, parts work. And also I feel I, I love... A, Thinking about like deeper, deeper transpersonal processes here. So I bring also, you know, like from my roots, shamanic work, a little bit of shamanic work, because I, I like the the integrating the earth into this, integrating the indigenous indigenous um, knowledge, wisdom. Uh, like some people integrate yogic traditions, Buddhist traditions. I, I, I like bringing the knowledge of the pelvic floor or, or the, capa- the working with grief and, and shame and, and things that are very interesting for me. So that's, because um, so I'm thinking that integrating all those pieces in the work is very important. So that's, um, that's where I can find me. I, I, you can subscribe to my mailing list or also I have a podcast that I've kind of let go for a little bit embodiment time podcast, but I am kind of building up into, okay, it's time to re- <laughs> re- continue editing the conversations that I had with certain people that I think we're ready to listen to, like Stephen Jenkins on talking about death and grief, things like that, because we, we need to kind of acknowledge where we are to move on to the next layers and steps. So
1: Thank you. We'll uh, I-
2: Thank yeah, you, I, for inviting me.
1: Yeah, I always enjoy talking with you. I'm glad that we've made this connection, and I'm sure we'll have more conversations uh, together in the future in various ways. So I'm grateful for your time and grateful for you and really grateful for what you've you've shared with our listeners.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here with you two company. It feels very, very nurturing and, and very relaxing and safe. I just want to say that because it's important for me you know, I, I think it's important that the way physiologically the, the interviewer, what it does to the body of the interview. And you guys were excellent. You two Thank were you. wonderful.
1: Thank you. I do apologize great. for the clothes I was wearing again. But besides that, we try <laughs> to be very... <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: fine.
1: I, I normally put an actual t-shirt on instead of this, but it does have elephants. So that's okay. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, but no, that that's what one of the things we do try to do is to, to foster. And that's one of the reasons we do Zoom instead of just calling is to have that interpersonal um, conversation with people. Uh, and we do, we, there were other podcasts I listened to that I learned from in that I would listen to them and feel like this doesn't feel like a safe environment, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want my, I never want the people we're speaking to to feel like they're on attack, that they need to say something or that they're being poked as a way to, to provide. It. You know, we 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 want people to feel safe, and I use that as a place for growth.
2: Mm-hmm. I can feel that. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate that you you too have that capacity to make, make the person feel very safe and comfy. Comfy. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks Especially again, for
2: Magdalena. you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Uh, oh, so nice to glad meet you. to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Have a great day. And likewise. Take care. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to us at Touching to Presence. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. You can find out more about Magdalena at magdalenaweinstein.com. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on your favorite podcast aggregators. And please share us with people who may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there. and We do hope we're making a difference in your world. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you in our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.